This episode of The How of Business is brought to you by Stroke of Genius. The Stroke of Genius podcast is back for season three. Each episode tells a different story from the world of intellectual property with cool interviews with green entrepreneurs, innovative scientists, and other creative minds. Find The Stroke of Genius show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. Henry Lopez here with you today, and my guest is David Jennings. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep. We're going to talk today about uh, David's very interesting entrepreneurial journey. And then he's going to share his area of expertise, which is systems, how to develop systems for small business owners. So that's going to be the focus of this episode. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode or other past episodes, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So David Jennings is an entrepreneur and his business experience spans from franchise retail clothing stores to founding one of Australia's most trusted digital agencies, MelbourneSEOServices.com. He's also the author of the very coming very soon, this upcoming book, Systemology, which I'm excited about. Uh, so we'll be talking about that book, Systemology. And he's also the host of his own podcast, Business Systems Simplified Podcast. In 2016, David successfully systemized himself out of his business. He hired a CEO and ste stepped back from the daily operations. And through this process, he became a systems devotee, founding System Hub and Systemology. Today, his mission is to free all business owners worldwide from the daily operations of running their business. Recognized as a high achieving entrepreneur, you'll find many of David's keynote presentations on YouTube, including, including TEDx, WordCamp, and ProBlogger. He's joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia this morning for him. And so I appreciate that. So once again, David Jennings, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Very looking forward to diving into things here. Wonderful. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. And so where I'd like to start is we usually start is kind of a, if you could give me kind of the brief story of, of your early entrepreneurial life. I know you did some interesting things. So just, just give us that, if you will, because that's always so interesting to, to me and to our listeners as to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I knew from day dot, I decided that I didn't want to go the traditional route and go through university and get a job and do the nine to five. Uh, so when I finished school, I jumped straight into a stock market trading course because I thought, oh, that's where the money is. And if I could learn how to trade the stock market, I'll make millions and own a, an island someday soon. Uh, I very quickly learned, though, you need money to make money in the stock market. And that kind of just started me on this journey. Well, I thought, oh, I need to learn how to make money. So well, what did I know about at that point? I knew how to use this stock market education package. So we, we created some training for it. And then I had to learn, well, now I've got this um, product, I need to go out and sell it. So I started to learn how to sell and writing copy and online marketing. And then after that, I just kind of had opportunity after opportunity pop up very early in my career. I was an opportunity seeker, uh, but I had some fun things that happened along the way. Things like we sold um, or I sold the Melbourne cricket ground, which is Australia's best known sporting venue. I happen to read a story about a guy called Paul Hartunian who sold the Brooklyn bridge many years ago when they were doing renovations, he got his hands on some of the discarded wood and wrote a press release and sent that off and, um, said Brooklyn uh, man sells the bridge for twenty four ninety five or something like that. And I thought, what a great idea. And they were doing some renovations on the Melbourne cricket ground. I got my hands on some of the discarded wood and then did the same thing. I modeled uh, what uh, Paul Hartunian had done. But then after that, different businesses, everything from uh, owning a rock and roll clothing music store uh, to then running an agency. That was my last business. And I, I own that business and have owned it for, we're coming up to about 13 years now uh, and heavily worked in the operations for a good 10 of those. But that's kind of the, the final kind of stepping stone and how I, I managed to get into the area I'm working in right now, uh, which is all around systems and processes uh, was by stepping out of that agency, as you mentioned in the intro. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. So did you have influences then growing up that uh, inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Dad was a business owner and he was the business owner that was always too busy though. So he uh, worked from home, worked for himself, uh, worked very long hours. I, I remember him always locking himself in the office uh, till late at night and working on the weekends. So I, I saw that idea of uh, a business owner and the amount of work that it requires to get it off the ground. Then the, the influences that came after that, I mean, there's been a lot, dad kind of fed uh, a lot of the early motivational stuff through to me. So I love, you know, like your, your Jim Rohn and early days, Tony Robbins and uh, Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy, those sorts of names. And then there's some Australian ones as well. There's a guy who had a big influence on me called Brad Sugars, who owns a, a coaching company called Action Coach uh, mm-hmm. these days. And yeah, all of that kind of fed into me at a young age at the right time. And I, I think it probably had the biggest influence. Did you, back then and in the early businesses though, so it sounded like you fell into that same trap of the only way to do it is, you know, be hands-on, 24-7 in the business, or did you early on figure out that you needed to step back? If I got it right, it wasn't until you got to Melbourne SEO that you that you finally learned that lesson, but am I missing something there? Yeah, I think everybody, and I was the same, goes through that journey. And even though you read something like the E-Myth, mm-hmm. uh, the entrepreneurial myth, and the author Michael Gerber talks about uh, this idea of the difference between a, a technician uh, versus you know a manager or a leader uh, of a of company, and a lot of business owners when they get started, they are a technician and they learn how to do the thing, and then oftentimes they get stuck in that and they don't make the bridge to kind of step out, and that's really what keeps them quite trapped. And I intellectually knew it, uh, as a lot of people do. I mean, they they hear the classic line, "Hey, you've got to work on it rather than in it." Uh, But I never really, for a long time there, understood how to actually do that or or make it happen. I'd jump between the two. I'd be doing probably 90% in and 10% on, which Mm. might be kind of just getting the business up and running and and the other parts of business. Um, It it took me a while, particularly with the agency. And the agency was a funny one because I had taken one of our earlier businesses, the um, the rock and roll clothing music store through the business cycle from starting it, growing it, building up the team, um, opening up three different stores, doing a wholesale arm and importing a bunch of stuff from China. Um, I kind of went through that phase and then got to the point where we actually even sold uh, that business. So I'd taken that through the full cycle, but for the digital agency, I thought that was different for some reason. Mm. when I got stuck in that business, I thought, Oh Yeah you know, that might've worked in in my previous business, but the online landscape changes all the time and things are updating. How can I systemize and create process uh, for something that as soon as I write a system or a process, it's going to get outdated. And I had all of this extra baggage thinking, you know, Oh, I'm working with creatives. So even if I get systems and processes in place, they're not going to want to follow those systems. And I thought I'd I'd need to create a whole bunch of systems and it just became overwhelmed. And, And it's weird. I just, had this baggage that made me think I couldn't do it for the better part of 10 years until I kind of had that defining moment where I thought, no, hang on, <laughs> maybe all of these preconceptions I've got are wrong and, and maybe it is possible. Did something, did something uh, lead to that? Obviously 10 years of it, but was there a breaking point or had you just had enough or what was it that said, you know what, we're going to figure this out? Yeah, look, the turning point was when we um, fell pregnant. So I got married and then I found out I was going to be a dad with our first child. We have two now, but when we had that first child, I had these flashbacks uh, back to my childhood. And, you know, I touched on earlier about my dad and the way that he had approached it. And I said to myself, I don't want to be that dad. I don't want to always be too busy uh, to, to be able to join in or participate or even though dad was there, and uh, he was working from home. So his aura is in the space, but he was never really there. Like he, he just wasn't present. He yeah, was always no, I thinking get it, about I the get business. It. He was always consumed by the business, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, no, I, I, 
I want to try and do something different. And that, that was kind of what set me on the path and was that catalyst for change. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, so then when did, is that when you started then doing the learning and how did you get to this seven step process that you'll introduce for us here in a moment? How did, how did it get to that? I had already been familiar with the idea of systems and processes, And I think just about every business owner that I talk with, all of them understand the importance of systems and processes. I've never had a discussion with a business owner where they've gone, oh, that's not really important. Right. Everybody uh, gets reckon- it, right? They've heard it ad nauseum and they, yeah. they get it, but they don't know what to do about it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. Or they go, um, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. Or I'm not really a systems person or whatever the infinite number of excuses they come up with is. And I mean, I had those excuses bubbling around in my head as well. Um, But but I, I knew I had a couple of experiences previously that really shaped the way that I, th- I thought about systems. One was when I did the stock market education stuff, the first business that I got involved in, um, we, we looked at defining and creating what are called trading systems. And a trading system was just a way to predefine the way that you would trade the stock market, thinking about when you buy, when you sell, how many shares you buy, and you would pre-write all of this stuff up front and make the decisions early before you put your money into the market because once the money goes in the market then you become emotional and then your judgments get clouded and then you make poor decisions so i already had this programming early on that systems and processes were a great way to do the thinking early and then make sure that you stick to the course and got consistent outcomes because you were following a process consistently so that programming was there and then in the um, rock and roll clothing music store. I, I also had the experience that we franchised that business and we sold a franchise. So I had to go through creating a franchise or manual, a franchisee manual, thinking about how all of that worked and how we maintain quality standards. So, so again, that was all there as well. Right. It wasn't until I got to the agency for some reason, I just had that block. I kept on thinking, yeah, but this business is different. Yeah. Uh, but and- I mean, it's such a, it, I'm glad you had explained that because I see that as such a common block. Oh, this is a creative process. Oh, it doesn't quite apply here. Oh, this is such a, we're pivoting all the time. So how would I possibly have repetitive stuff to document? And I can see where you yeah. come up with that excuse and convince yourself that that's the case. Yeah. And, and it was kind of, not until I kind of sat down, had that defining moment, looked at the business and within that business, I recognized I had a, a sub brand. So the digital agency was, uh, is called Melbourne SEO services. And we'd created, cause we had quite frequent uh, requests to help people create content. So we created a video production part mm. of the business, Melbourne video production. And I couldn't, operate a camera. Like I'm not a video guy. So from the get go with that business, we built it uh, without me being able to be the technician. And that was a very creative business. It was a business that uh, when you're thinking about video production, you know, there's so many things to think about in pre-production, production and post-production. And I didn't know any of that. Um, and it, but it meant that I built it right from the get go um, working without me. And that's really the biggest secret when you need to start thinking about systemizing. It's just always hard to think about it when you've built up the business and you have been the technician, it makes it very hard to disconnect. But I knew it was possible because that was a creative business and I managed to do it. And I had some of these back experiences. So I just needed to think about, well, how do I re-engineer the other parts of the business um, with a real focus to remove me? Mm-hmm. So did this seven, this seven step process kind of come from that thinking of, all right, if I, if I put a system to the, the creation of systems, uh, I think these are the seven components of it. And then you kind of flesh that out, I suspect. Yeah. So I always felt when I read a lot of these books that they get me all excited, you know, right. traction, e-myth, scaling up. Uh, there's a lot of built to sell. There's a lot of books that sell the idea of systems and processes, but I always felt that nothing really showed me 
well, how do I do it? Where yeah. do I start? Yeah. What are the first systems I capture? How do I get the business owner out of the process and get the team more involved in the process? All those sorts of things. Um, and I, I went through and ground it out when we did Melbourne SEO services and then I kind of got the outcome. And then I, I tried to look back after that fact, like any good entrepreneur, you know, when you create a little bit of space, you come up with another great idea. So I'd stepped out of the operations of uh, Melbourne SEO and hired a CEO who runs it. She, she runs that business. And then that enabled me to, think of, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do next? And then that's where this idea of system hub and systemology came from. And then I tried to deconstruct well, what had I done to remove myself. And then I took a, a group of um, colleagues who saw me do what I just did. And I took them through a process over, uh, it was a six month process where I was meeting with them on Zoom and we we went through the process and I just kept on chiseling and refining. And then we started bringing on some clients and then I realized, Oh, this step needs to go before that step. And Oh, okay. No, this needs to cover this area. And it was, yeah, it wasn't like I, you know, was sitting in the shower or, you know, sitting on the toilet or having a shower. And then I had this um, <laughs> brainwave of, Oh, the, here the are seven the seven st steps. No, that's right. Got <laughs> passed down on a stone tablet or something. <laughs> I, I really needed to, to perfect this over time to, to kind of get it to where it is today. Got it. All right. All right. So, so the book systemology is going to take me through this and teach me to some extent how to go through these seven steps, right? Bang on. Yeah. yeah. So it, it fills that hole that I feel yeah. still exists. And this is what the book is solving um, is okay. I understand I have to systemize. Now, what, what is the system for systemizing your business? Yeah. So let's walk through that at a high level and then we'll have some questions as we go through it. The first step is to define. And, and I think here, if I was following correctly, as I was doing the research, it's, it's about this, because this is the thing that, as you pointed out, paralyzes us as small business owners is, yeah, okay, I know I have to do this, but oh my gosh, this is a daunting task. Yeah. So defining, explain what we're doing there in that first step. Yeah, that's exactly right. One of the the big misconceptions and myths is that you're going to need to create hundreds of systems to systemize your business. And the truth is it's the classic 80, 20. You just have to identify the 20% that give you the 80% of the result. And there really is between probably about 10 to 15 mission critical systems required for generating money inside your business. Okay. So, so, so is that one of the qualifiers? It's got to be, is that how I determine mission critical? Is that part yeah. of how I determine what falls into that 10 to 15? Exactly right. You get very clear on the target audience and one core central product or service that you're selling. Start yeah. off with that just so you go, right, all of the questions that I'm going to ask will relate back to serving that target audience and the way that I de deliver that particular product. And then you just, it's about thinking, how do you get customers? How do you answer the inquiry when it comes in? How do you sell them? How do you onboard them? How do you deliver your product and service? And how do you get them to come back? That flow is what we call the critical client flow. And if you just start focusing in that space, mm -hmm. you're, you're focusing on areas that are, are going to have a, an impact to your bottom line. And oftentimes a very, for, particularly for micro and solo, you know, business owners, when they're getting started, um, are things that they're heavily involved in. And if you can get it to a point where that happens without the business owner, that's when you start to create this machine that can work without you. And I think you start to uncover that regardless of whether it is a creative endeavor or not, um, these things are done fairly the same way every time. Yeah. And there are certain things that are uh, easier to systemize than others. And sometimes for the really creative stuff, you're just creating the boundaries or the perimeter for your sure. creatives to operate within. I mean, you can, the way that you run ads, the way that you're invoicing people, the way that you're setting up a project, the way that you email regular updates to your clients as to status of their work, all of that stuff can be really well systemized. So focus on systemizing that part first, but maybe the creative part, you know, it's just about setting more of the guide rails. Yeah. All right. Step two is to assign. And if I understood it correctly, that's, that's the other big thing is I think I, as the owner, have to do all of this. I now, I've identified them. Great. That narrows it down. But now I have to go write all these procedures and systems and do it all myself. 
Yeah, and that that myth stops people from moving forward because they think, well, I need to do it and I'm a business owner and I think systems and processes, I know that they're important, but they're never urgent. So you never get around to doing it. So if it lands on the business owner's shoulders, you just got to recognize that it's not going to get done. So there is some, depending on if you're working with contractors or part-timers, or if you've got a couple of full-time employees, uh, a lot of those team members are going to know how to do things uh, and they don't necessarily have to do it to, you know, they might not do it as well as you're going to do it. Um, but you can use that as a way to extract what they know. And that just becomes version one. And then you keep leveling up these systems and processes. It's an iterative process. It's not, you don't, have to nail it the first time. So yeah, you try and identify where in your business, the knowledge already exists. And as many times as possible, you want to get the business owner out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two, two great takeaways there for me, David, I, I, because that the concept of, and I always try to apply this is this is just version one or version, you know, 0.1. I think that takes a lot of pressure off trying to create a masterpiece or a perfect definition of the system. That's just not realistic. Um, the other thing though that I found, I'm sure you have as well, is that even though that person you delegate to may not in your mind, get it the way you would get it, they're going to bring to it a different perspective that you don't have. And they may actually find a, a better way to do it. And, and you get that value, not to mention that it empowers those people, right? Exactly right. I think just going through it and getting more people involved and then you can kind of improve things, but just get something down. If you think about who is the best person on the team that could potentially do it, like let's say you've got a, a sales process or like a, a salesperson or something like that as an example, uh, that salesperson or your best salesperson, if you just model what it is that they're doing and you bring everybody up to that standard, that can get you some tremendous wins inside the business. Uh, just getting everybody to operate consistently. Even consistency is a win if it's an average system. Uh, getting everybody at least doing average is, is better. That consistency enables you to then get a baseline and then get some metrics and think, well, how do we improve this process? So you just got to get something down. Yeah. All right. So step three is extract. So introduce what, what we're doing in that step. So this is all about then how do you then get the knowledge out of those team members' heads and making it as easy as possible and how to uh, reduce the workload. The myth being that creating systems and processes is time consuming and frustrating for some team members. They don't have enough time in the day anyway to get all of their work done, let alone to try and document the way that they do things. Mm -hmm. And the, the way to overcome this is to understand that systemization, it's a two-person process you've got the person with the knowledge and then you've got the person who does the documentation so you can have the someone we call them a systems champion work with a team member record the task getting done and then they hand that recording off to the uh, systems champion and then they can do the documentation then they go back to the team member and say hey you know here's version one of what we talked about and what we recorded in your video just that process alone even if you're extracting it out of the business owner's head is infinitely better. If you just use a loom or you use your mobile phone to record something of you doing something or a, the dictaphone on your um, phone, you could record a sales meeting. Great. Well, now you've got an audio that audio then can go off to someone that someone can listen to it, pull out all of the key points. And now you have, you know, a basic script that can be followed when you do your sales process. So it's, it's really about trying to simplify that and making it a two-person role. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love those examples. I've, I've applied those examples myself and I think that works really well. So just, again, I think we think we have to write this exhaustive novel. Uh, and, and, and again, we're, sometimes we, we want to ask people who that's not their strength to do it. And then that just paralyzes them and everybody gets frustrated, right? Yeah, exactly right. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of my favorite podcast shows, Stroke of Genius, is back for season three. This show from the IPO Education Foundation is about intellectual property. 
but it's as far from a patent contract or a law textbook as you can get. Each episode of Stroke of Genius tells a different and interesting story from the world of intellectual property, from the Harry Potter copyrights to Syracuse University trademarks. The series is filled with engaging interviews with green entrepreneurs, forward-thinking scientists, and the business people who are genuinely interested in supporting and protecting creativity and leaving something good behind. Stroke of Genius episodes are only 30 minutes or less. It's a great listen, so subscribe and check it out on ipoef.org, on Apple Podcasts, or by searching Stroke of Genius wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so step four is organize. What are we doing there? Organizing is then just about taking that knowledge and thinking about what your software stack looks like. So okay. you think about where are your systems and processes now that they've been documented, where are they going to be stored? That's a key part. And then also how does that uh, work alongside some sort of project management thing? So if you're assigning a piece of work or a task to someone, you want a way to be able to go, this is due by a certain date and move that accountability out of working from an email and working in some sort of project management platform. So yeah, it all has to do with the way that you organize it and keep things simple. That's probably the biggest takeaway because complexity is the enemy of systems. You want to make things as easy as possible for your staff member without necessarily overcomplicating things. Okay. So it's, it's organizing the project of the, the development of the systems. It's not also though what tool we're going to use to execute that system that comes later. No, look, it's, it's just the software stack. It's not just about the development of the systems here. It's, it's about um, the way that your your business runs the way that it's organized. So, you know, it's one thing to have a system or process documented. It's another to get your team to actually follow it. Right. So we just want to think if we've gone through define, assign and extract, we've now extracted out some of this knowledge. Where are we going to put that knowledge? Okay. How do we make sure that team members refer to it? And how do we make sure that they're accountable to it? You just kind of want to do that thinking. And I, I hesitate to just say, oh, this is the particular software solution uh, because it will depend on your industry and there are a lot of different variables and the size of the team, but you want to go through the right thinking to make sure that you're working with a platform that meets those two criteria, making it easy for people to find when they're looking for it and introduces some level of accountability. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. All right, step five is integrate. So tell us about that. Integrating is then about getting your team to buy in and um, making sure that they follow the process. So how do you introduce it to them? How do you overcome resistance? Because you'll find that the for new staff members, when you just hire them and they're the first time you've worked with them, they and you've got a system and a process in place, they're going to be most receptive to Absolutely. those because that's all they've ever known. That's, right. just e- that's easy. This is how we do things. Okay. That's how yeah. we do things. Yeah. But the hard one is always the existing people you work with. Absolutely. So you just, you want to think about how you introduce it to people and how you get their buy-in and help them to understand from their position that it's actually beneficial for them, gives them opportunities. This isn't about the business owner making more profits and the business owner going lying on a beach and doing nothing. Um, This is having good systems and processes will benefit them. They'll be able to go on holidays and know that they don't have to keep checking their email because work can be assigned and keep moving forward. And they know when they come back from the holiday, their inbox isn't going to have 10,000 emails in there because work had continued to work while they're away. They, they might be able to move up in the ranks for your company. If you can, if they can systemize their role and then, delegate tasks to lower cost um, team members. That means that they can elevate themselves to higher responsibility and become more valuable for the business. I mean, it depends on everybody. Everybody's different. Some people don't want to move up. Some people, so you, you, the key here is to understand their motivation and what they're looking to do and then help them to understand how the systems can help them achieve that. 
Right. David, one of the, where I've had a challenge with this is that that outlier successful, let's say a successful person, salesperson, for example, they've been successful, but they do it their own way. And, and we've determined, all right, this is how we're going to do it now. This is the standard way we're going to do things. But I have a hard time convincing that successful outlier to now change his or her ways to do it the official way, for lack of better words. You know what I'm saying? Any thoughts on how you rein that person in now that's been that outlier successful, but I can't get them now to follow the system? Yeah, a couple of things. Early on in the process, when you're thinking about the assigned step, uh, if, if they are a top performer, there's a chance that you want to extract the systems from them or their way of doing things. Because you, you, you want to try and model the best person and then have it that role through the organization. Now, they might be using the salesperson poor on some things like, you know, salespeople oftentimes they're great at, you know, when they're talking to people, uh, but then when it comes to entering the details yeah. into the CRM afterwards, they, they, they fall short. Right. They just um, won't use the CRM. They just, they just, yeah. Won't do it. yeah. So there might be some things there that, you know, you always try and think about making your team members job easy. And maybe there are some workarounds in that example where you might get them an assistant where you know you've got an admin assistant who sits across all of your salespeople who helps to take some of that data and and get it in so there are some workarounds there and um, that's specific to the sales role though but if, if we go back to what you said which is i think really the heart of the question is how do you address someone who's got some resistance and they're not following the system and the process and they've been with you for a long time and this one I, I learned an interesting thing when I was eight years old of all things. I got this one from my, my dad, my dad uh, created a thing called the sheet for my brother and I, and it was basically a way for us to earn pocket money. It would list out a range of different activities that we could uh, undertake things like brushing our teeth, cleaning our room, um, taking the washing downstairs, cleaning the birdcage, being nice to our brother. It even had things like you could earn points for depending on what time you went to bed. And at the end of the week, you would add up all of those points. You'd get a final score. And there was this little scoring legend wow. that um, you could then translate into how much pocket money you'd get. So if you got above a certain amount of points, you'd get, you know, I think it was about $6.50 for the week for the pocket money, which back at the, the day, that was, you know, pretty uh, epic as an eight-year-old. So here Absolutely. I am doing this sheet. <laughs> um, and I, I mastered the sheet. And he even had this thing where uh, if you got more than four weeks in a row over 600 points, you would get an extra um, payout, like a bonus. It was like a winning streak. So you got the bonus. So he'd, he'd really gone to town with this system <laughs> for how to get my brother and I to do things. And I got so good at it that I um, got to a point where he said it needed to change the pointing system because he said that I was, um, he said, I'm bleeding him dry. <laughs> you were gaming him. You're gaming Correct. the system. So I was doing so well. Now that was me. But if I, I think about my brother, my brother was very different. My brother did not like the sheet. He hated the sheet. He loathed the sheet he didn't give a sheet about the sheet and <laughs> he um he decided just not to follow it not to participate and the lesson that i had there was there will be some people that just won't follow the system and the process and no matter what you do they're just not going to do it and that's okay that's their choice but if, if you are moving towards being a systems culture, if you want to build a business that works without the business owner, you need to have systems and processes in place and you need to have the confidence. If you want complete business reliability, you need to know that systems and processes are going to be followed. So there might come a point where you go, even if they are a top performer, where and, and this is usually for existing staff only because mm -hmm. new staff, your recruitment process is going to filter this out right at the start and you're going to find people uh, that resonate with this culture that you're building. But if you have people that don't, there may be a chance that you'll get to the point and even if they're a top producer where you go, hang on, they're, they're not the right fit. I, 
another thing I remember when I hired our CEO and she took over uh, and I, I said, I've putting you in charge and I want you to, you know, we were systemizing the business here and she started getting everybody to follow it. Uh, but for some reason I felt I was above the law mm-hmm. and I would um, assign things directly to team members. I would set, you know, due dates of, cause I felt like what I was working on was the most important thing. So of course I needed the turnaround within 24 hours. So I would assign it to a team member and say that I needed this ASAP. Uh, she gave me a couple of little nudges and said, this is not the way that we do things. But on about the third attempt, she posted a big message in our project management platform saying, uh, if, if David uh, outreaches and this, she's, remember I'm the business owner. She, she is an employee, but right. I had empowered her to be the CEO. She said, if David assigns a uh, task to you to do an urgent task and it hasn't come through um, the team leader and, and, you know, evaluated uh, based on your workload and set an appropriate due date. I want you to ignore the message. Wow. That's wonderful. Was, I mean, you hired the right person there, right? That she had yeah. the audacity to say, no, this is, this is not what you hired me to do. Um, pretty gutsy move. Pretty gutsy. Sure. You were undermining the whole system. Exactly. And that taught me again, it just reminded me that um, every team member, if you're building this culture, you can't be, above the law. So I, um, you know, I've got a, an executive assistant who works with me and, and we work things a little bit differently where I can email her directly and, you know, all hours of the day and set my urgent, but she's my executive assistant, right. me and her almost like we operate in a bubble outside of the business. But whenever I am interacting with the team, I need, i have to follow system and process. Otherwise um, everything breaks down. So, yeah. I think the hardest thing with systems and processes really what you are looking to do is you're changing the culture of the organization. It's not enough to just have something written down and documented. You, you also need to get people to follow it. So you, you, it is a challenge at the start when you introduce this, uh, this new way of working, particularly if you've got up to a certain size and, and you know, everything that you've done till now has has worked, but, but it's, you need to start to systemize when you're, you're finding you are the bottleneck when you're that centerpiece and you, you, it's almost like you've hit this glass ceiling. The way to break through that glass ceiling is with systems and processes, but you're going to have to change the way that you do things. So it's, yeah, the, the difference between, as you start to evolve, I think, I mean, it's, it's okay when you're getting up and running and started, you, you do need to operate in this way and burn the candle at both ends and the business owners doing everything. And, that that's a rite of passage, but you just, the risk is you don't want to get stuck there. Yeah. Yeah. No, great stuff. I agree. And a lot of times I think why this is so tough, David, is that a lot of times when we first start out, depending on the type of business, we might have a lot of what, you know, people call rugged individualists, right? Kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. But if we're going to take that, that step to the next level and have these systems, you work with these people that are those outliers that fight it, you keep coaching them, but at some point they may have to go. If that's, if you really want to get there, they may have to go. It may, they may no longer be, as you articulated, a fit for your organization. And I was a big softy as well. And it's I still hard. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. Especially yeah. if, if, especially if that individual was critical to your early success, right? Yeah. yeah. I think when Melissa came on board, that's one thing that I realized. I actually thought I was pretty good managing people, but it wasn't until I found a good people manager that I realized how bad I actually was. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, so step six is to scale. So yeah. what are so we scale doing? Scale then is, is thinking about uh, what are the additional systems and processes you need outside of what we identified in the define stage. So the define okay. was all about getting customers, selling them, onboarding and delivering, but you're going to need other systems when it comes to scaling. You need to think about your HR systems. How do you hire and onboard staff? You need to think about your finance systems. How are you invoicing and paying expenses and paying wages and things like that? And then you need to think about your, your management systems. What, how often are you meeting and how are you setting the, um, the agenda of what it is that you're discussing? How are you choosing the direction that the business will ha- head, but you, you need to identify all of those systems and then get to work on those. Okay. And then optimize. I, I think I understand what optimize is. Is, your, is that, that's that continuous process of improvement. Is that correct? 
Yeah. And a lot of people, this addresses one of those big myths that people have that you need to systemize like McDonald's. Uh, I mean, McDonald's is the poster child for business systemization. And everybody talks about how great McDonald's is with their systems. So people think they need to systemize like McDonald's, but McDonald's has been doing it for 60 years. So they're trying to create systems like McDonald's would be like trying to compete against a, an Olympic athlete that has been training their whole life and working up to work, you know, the event in the Olympics. And here you are the couch potato who's decided to enter the same event and go head to head. You, you've got to. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention that, that this is where it breaks down when you're talking about something more creative, right? Yeah. So you, you really need to optimization for me comes last let's just get something down. And we kind of addressed that a little bit earlier where we said, even if it's bad, just get something bad down and then you can improve. So, um, don't try and make it perfect out of the gate because if you do that, you'll never get around to it. Um, and you'll go, Oh, I just, I can't do this. I'm, I can't systemize like McDonald's systemizes. Well, you don't need to M McDonald's didn't start that way either. 60 years ago, well, whatever it is now, they, they didn't have the systems and the processes. They just got started. That's the real key. Yeah, that's great. All right. So this is what the, a lot of what the book systemology focuses on is these seven steps, define, assign, extract, organize, integrate, scale, and optimize. So thanks for, for walking us through that. One of the key components, which you've touched on already, then to be able to, to have a business like this, that, that doesn't depend on you is hiring a players like you did when you hired your CEO. Um, and they're responsible now for this new culture. But, and you also mentioned the people person as a key component. What are the things should I look for or tips for finding those A players, not just my CEO, but A players that fit in to this new culture? The key is to have a recruitment process. So you just want to think about running your job ad, getting people to fill out a questionnaire, getting them to do a trial task, coming onto some sort of probationary period, having an interview. So if you take them through a sequence, it's a great way to filter. So I think that's probably the best advice I can have is having some sort of process and then also embedding systems thinking into the recruitment process. So you want to introduce early, okay, this is what you're going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Here are three systems that are going to be tasks that you're going to need to complete regularly. And you show them right up front. This is the way that we do things here. And A players, it's a bit of a misconception because business owners feel like as you know, visionaries and big picture thinkers, they feel, and they might not be systems people, they feel that other people aren't systems people either, or maybe their team will be resistant to systems and processes. But A players really love uh, to understand how they can win. Yeah. They want to know how they can excel in their role and how they can be the best person. And the way to do that is, is by telling them or explaining or showing here is a system or a process you do it, you know, to this standard or beyond, and you're going to make me super, super happy. So it, it's a players are attracted to that. Um, there are some exceptions, uh, but generally speaking, a players want to know how to win. Uh, and a lot of people aren't always wired like the business owner. Yeah. No, it's such a great point. I found that to be the case from, you know, an hourly wage employee at my frozen yogurt shop to, you know, talent that, that's paid much more. People want to know the rules of the game. And if you make that clear for them, everybody feels much more comfortable. Okay, I know what I need to do here to perform. And everybody wants to do that. I think most people, that's what they want. And so, you know, everything you're talking about is kind of what we try to do. And we've had such great success with it. In the interview process, we share with them our manifesto. Here's how we do things here. Yes, so that weeds yep. people out by themselves. I don't, you know, that doesn't mean we don't make hiring mistakes. That's still going to happen. But a lot of those people weed themselves out once they understand, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be expected to behave and be part of that culture. Is that me or is it not me? And people kind of decide that pretty early on is what I've found. And that's what you want to do. Just like my, my dad with the sheet, he didn't get the choice to recruit uh, who would follow the sheet and who wouldn't. Uh, there are rare circumstances, but you 
are the business owner. You get to decide who plays and who doesn't. So find the, pe the person who will follow the sheet and make that very clear up front and talk about it and explain that this is the way that you do things. That's, that's a key role of that, the business owner setting the vision and the direction for the business to grow into. Yeah. All right. I know obviously you're, you're a student of Michael Gerber. You've had him on the show, which is fantastic. It's one of the early influence books as it is for me. It's the, the most recommended book of everybody that I've interviewed across over 300 shows now. Uh, it's a must read, obviously, but it's interesting. I was listening to your interview with him and, and he's kind of begun to, at least from my perspective, shift a little bit the message, not just from the whole on versus in, but this whole concept of it can't, you can't fix a broken business and scaling to sale. So tell me a little bit about that because you're a student of his, you apply a lot of this. What is he talking about there and how do you interpret that? Yes, a uh, little uh, aside with Michael, he's actually written the foreword for my upcoming oh, book, wonderful. Systemology. So um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. I'm a big fan of uh, Michael's work and I think he's had the biggest impact uh, on business systems for small business. So there's a lot of different things that I've, I've learned from him over the years. The idea of not being able to fix a broken business comes from this idea that all business he believes should be built from the foundations of having a dream, a vision, a purpose, and a mission. And you think about that upfront. And if that isn't in place, then he sees the business as broken. So a lot of people don't start with the dream, the vision, the purpose, and the mission. So they're not setting the sale correctly. They're not able to lead the team or give them direction. Uh, and therefore it's broken and it's very hard to try and reverse engineer or to stick a dream, a vision, a purpose, a mission in later down the track. If you've already started heavily building and you're building out the team. So that's why he always talks about, you have to start over and he talks about what's old co and new co old co is your existing business. And you want to get it up to a point where you know, it pays the bills and does what it needs to. But NewCo is your business that is the, the, you've created it the way that it should have been created or the way that you actually envisaged it should. And you're kind of transitioning from that old co to new co. So that's kind of the way that he looks at it. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Fascinating stuff. Great interview. I've listened to those, those two interviews you did. Um, good stuff there. All right. So tell us a little bit more about the book. And um, I know you've got a special offer for our listeners. So, so tell us a bit more about Systemology. Yeah. So Systemology, it's the, the proven solution for business systems, profits, and opportunities. So I, I see systems as a way to create space for the business owner. And then when the business owner has space, they're able to take advantage of opportunities because there's a lot of opportunities that come across you know, business owners every single day. Oftentimes they don't see them because they're stuck in the thick of their business. And I feel like that's, you need to move. And Michael's the guy who came up with the line of working on your business rather than in your business. I just always felt that uh, I didn't know how to make that transition. I heard it, but systemology fills that gap. It is the system to systemize your business. It takes you from a business with zero systems up to one that works like a, a finely oiled machine. Because um, I think that's, for me, really where I felt the, the missing piece. Because a lot of the material that's out there addresses, uh, you know, when I think about systemization, you might think about Lean or Six Sigma. You know, there are some different uh, thinking already done in this place, but it's all... Uh, or this space, it's all targeted to larger businesses. They're all, you know, manufacturing or hundred plus team members and they're doing all of these fancy flow charts and it just does not translate down to small business. So systemology is written for the small business owner to help them transition from being that center cog to, to stepping out and getting that minimum viable product, those minimum systems in place. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I believe it, it fills a hole. That's why I wrote it. Like any business owner, you see a problem out there in the world that you want to solve and then you go and solve it. And that's, that's the problem that I, I felt like it was just a, probably one of the least well-addressed areas in business. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. And then the offer for our listeners, 
Well, I've put together just a, a range of different bonuses. So the, the book is, is just being launched. So I'm really excited to help spread that message and get it out. So we're going to put together a range of additional audios and some PDFs and some extra little videos for anyone um, who's listening to the podcast that goes ahead and purchases the book. So you can head to systemology.com forward slash book systemology.com forward slash book. And then from there, you'll be able to submit in your Amazon receipt. You just buy it on Amazon. And from there, uh, we can email you some links to be able to gain access to a range of bonuses. Great, great stuff. And if you didn't get that, we'll have that link on the show notes page to this episode. So we'll have that there as well. Great. Thank you. Uh, so speaking of books, we've talked about your book, Systemology. We've talked about the E-Myth. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, I think um, the first one that comes to mind I love referencing is one called Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, it's just a great, again, overview. They touch on the idea of systems, but it's more about the structure. I think they call it the operating system of a business. Right. And it, it talks about you know getting the right meeting cadence and thinking about getting the right team members in the right seats. You know, that, that classic analogy of getting the right uh, bums on the right seats. It just it, It's a great way to think of the, the business of business as opposed to the technician's work. Yeah. So if I kind of put these three together, I mean, I, the E-Myth I think is great for understanding this whole concept of not falling into just being a technician, growing out of trading hours for dollars, working on your business. Your book helps me now that I know I have to systemize. How do I go about that? The how to, and I think, traction is again that it's a they call it an operating system but it's the rhythm of the business and i think how that's how those three books would work together is that fair yeah perfect that's exactly where i imagine it fitting wonderful all right tell us one thing uh, as we wrap it up here one thing you want us to take away from this conversation about systems from a small business owner's perspective the one thing to think about is just you can systemize your business and I think you need to retest some of the assumptions you might have about systems and processes. Even if you think you're not a systems person, doesn't mean that you can't install this in. I am a visionary. I am a big picture thinker. I am the business owner. I don't get into the nuts and bolts of writing the systems and the processes, but I see and recognize that value. And then I find the right team members to engineer it into the business so I think everybody needs to be thinking about how to systemize business because that really is the only way to, to bridge through that gap where you can then move away from being person dependent and, and the business can start to work without you. Yeah, well said, well said. I, you know, I think for me, one of the big takeaways from what we talked about is again, that that's this process that you've laid out helps me tackle what can seem insurmountable and paralyzes us. And also the excuses that we've all thrown out, you've, you've, we've touched on them. It's a creative process. I can't do it. It's always different. Um, so this, this kind of breaks it down so that I can tackle this. And that's, that's one of my takeaways from what we talked about. Where do you want us to go online again to find out more? Yeah, just head over to systemology.com forward slash book and grab yourself a copy on Amazon and we can send through those bonuses. And yeah, if you've got any questions or anything like that, there's all the contact details on the website. Wonderful. David, great conversation. Thanks for uh, being with us early morning for you and for sharing your knowledge today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for listening to this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was David Jennings. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. Or you can just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our show sponsor, Stroke of Genius, one of my favorite podcast shows about innovation and protecting intellectual property. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.